Welcome to the Westside Investors Network, WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. And now your hosts, AJ and Chris Shepard. Hi, this is Chris Shepard. Just a disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only. They should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments, or take any other actions. Thank you and enjoy the show. Today, we have Victoria Jodas with us on the show. Victoria is the founder and managing partner of Steel Wolf Ventures. She will talk about how she put up a venture capital fund and why their business model is considered cutting edge and different from others. She also shares the process of choosing their partners and how to leverage financing in this hybrid model business. So let's welcome Victoria. All right. Today, we've got Victoria Jodas with us. She is founding and managing partner of Steel Wolf Ventures. Thank you, Victoria, for coming on our show today. Really appreciate it. How about we start out with you just telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today? Well, you know, finishing college, I went to medical school, didn't like it, don't like blood. So I switched gears and I went to train with a company back east called Arthur Rubloff. They're out of Chicago. They were here in Los Angeles at the time and they had to fill their EEOE. So here I am, you know, college degree, young and aggressive. And they started me out with a water papers and they said hey call all these people and make appointments <laughs> so i did in year two i had 30 million in listings this is back in the 80s so that was a lot of money and that, so i did fairly in, well in that that was in commercial real estate in commercial i was one of the first few female ccim trained investment brokers so for the first year i did all the dirty work <laughs> and then you know, they decided to let me go out on my own because I think they were hoping I would fail because it was an all-male office. You know, we still had the glass ceiling back then. And so I just decided to do what they told me, make a lot of phone calls, go visit a lot of people, wore a suit, try to be as professional as possible. For some reason, people liked me. So, you know, after doing that for about 10 years, I decided to go the development route and started putting investors in with the money that I had made in commercial real estate and started doing the old flip the house thing and then build the house and then design the house, build it from scratch. And retired at 40. My daughter was just a few years old. I decided to do the horseback riding thing with her and came back into the market again in 2002 and was more interested in experiencing not just the real estate venture part of it, but people kept coming to me for 10 years saying, why don't you raise money for my company? I don't do that. Why don't you raise money for this project? I don't do that. I do real estate. And after the crash of 2008, I decided to switch gears, learn a little more about that. And about uh, four or five years ago, when the Jobs Act got passed in 2016, I added that to our queue and then I formed Steel Wolf. And Steel Wolf right now is a booty company. We like hard assets in our queue, as well as some really interesting, cutting-edge venture deals that we feel are going to explode and have a big market. So we're not the shark tank where we want to fund you know, a t-shirt company. We want something really cutting-edge. And I think my medical background helped me 
you know, in today's time, we have four medical deals we're raising money for, one that's going to be an Alzheimer's project, and then we have some biotech deals that have huge amounts of real estate attached to it. So I get to use my skill set, and I hired a team of three other guys that have various skill sets that would work well with our family office and our other business models. So that's where we're at. But, you know, still love the real estate. But nothing's better than owning a building or a property where you have ownership in a business that can grow and, and be in the same building that you own. It's kind of a nice mix. I know you guys are more super real estate <laughs> located, but, you know, I like the mix. Uh, I hope that we never have to go through a 2008 again like well, we did I mean, back then. Chris and I both own businesses as well. I mean, oh, we own the, okay. the, well, pro- the property management business and the construction business. I mean, we're very vertically integrated. So we're, we're familiar with running business and not just being the investor or doing just the real estate. So that's, I think that makes a lot of sense because when we partner up with a part with a, with a company, we, we take equity in the company and then we grow with them. So, you know, on some, clients that we've had for a couple of years, we're going in for the second and third race. And also, you know, I'm sitting on an, an advisory capacity on some of these and, you know, the partners that I chose, I mean, I had to fire a few people along the way, <laughs> but you know, I think I finally got the right solid team. It's just like anything else. You got to try people out. If it's not a good fit, you pass. And so that's been my challenge the last few years, especially through COVID is to try to keep everybody moving and you know going in the right direction so because of the way the real estate market might be in the near future i think we're going to be positioning ourselves to put together another vc fund just for properties that could be falling out of the bag so to speak you know the ones that might be hitting a wall you know for mortgages not paid etc so we might step back into that market in the next six to twelve months we'll see what happens yeah, Victoria, it's Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi. <laughs> just to recap, so Steel Wolf is a venture capital fund, and you guys invest in businesses. And if they have real estate, that's great, but they don't necessarily need to have real estate for you guys to, I guess. You know, take- I have to say, honestly, each deal is different. You know, it doesn't have to. That aspect isn't so much important. I think what we focus on is trying to pick the winner, which is the hardest thing to do. So we focus on the CEO and the company, and invariably there's real estate involved. I mean, if you, unless you're a totally virtual business, you're going to be somewhere or perhaps building a building for the, because we don't do startups per se, that's more for an angel group. We're, we're kind of in that middle between the angel groups and the big guys that charge 150000 up front to raise you money and sometimes are successful. So we have a completely different business model where we basically participate with them and then, you know, help adjunct uh, additional cash flow as it's needed. And, and your goal is to, you know, take a like $2 million to $10 million company and... Blow it up. Double, triple, or... Right hockey stick, their revenue. 3X, 5X, 10X, whatever we can get. And, you know, on our real estate models, we like a 20% return or better. But this is a whole other animal. So, you know, if we can soft sell the real estate 
part of it and say, no matter what happens with this company, if it blows apart, you'll still have an exit, you know, an exit and an asset, I'm sorry, then I think, I think that works better for people that are a little more conservative, you know. So that's the hybrid model that you guys talk right. about. Yeah, we, we like it's to really see nice. that. To have a I piece mean, of real estate attached to a business. Right. One of the things that AJ and I find is, you know, since we run a property management company, we find that our best property management client is ourselves because, you know, we don't. I rest my case. Complain <laughs> as much. <laughs> Not complain, but just there's one less leg of communication there. Like, and it it just helps, you know when we know what we need that that can just be done as opposed to, you know, client needing to communicate it and it, it just takes a little bit more time. So when you own the company or own part of the company that you're trying to scale, it's a lot easier than just owning the piece of real estate and hoping that that business succeeds. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I used to go to all these lunches and pitch scenarios you know when i had i had a radio and a tv show in 2012 through 15 right before the jobs act and you know i would see all these pitches and i'd wonder you know what what are they thinking and how is this going to really work in real life there was a lot of blue sky there and you know after you listen to a few thousand pitches you kind of have to pick the right racehorse but the extra communication that you have to do to convince a founder that may not be great at operations or may not be great at, you know, another that he should probably be hiring or he, she or she should probably be hiring a CEO to run the company and just stay as a founder and an inventor. And you, I'm sure you've seen that, you know, over the years when you work with people, if they put up a brick wall, it makes it harder to make the right decision or what we think the right decision is. So it's, it's a comfort level. It's a trust level that we like to see and, you know, I've had some of my clients for two years and we've evolved and gone on different paths. And it's it's great to see somebody that's got fruit ready to go, purchase orders ready to come in. And all you got to do is go in and just push them right down to the finish line. So that's the exciting part. And yeah, the three to five X helps too. But <laughs> again, <laughs> you know, I don't know what kind of returns you get on your other businesses, but it's nice to have that and also the asset base. So that's who we are. I hope that we do really well the next year. We, we have, on our hybrid model, we also do syndication of the venture deals. As of, I think, Friday, we have $151 million in raises. Wow. And we've only started to do this since January. So that's I'm pretty excited exciting. about that. Yeah. So, Victoria, when you're, you know, listening to a pitch or maybe evaluating a business, like what is your, what is your process? Like, how do you guys decide, okay, this is a great company, you know, this is concerning, maybe we need a little more research here. You know, how do you make that decision? It's kind of like looking at a piece of real estate and deciding if you're going to flip it or even buy it. Or I mean, when you look at real estate, you look at the neighborhood, you look at the, is this the least amount of value and this is the crummiest house on the block. Can I tear it down, fix it up, do whatever? Can I lease these rents at a higher rent? All of that comes into play in a different version. It's, it's just switching gears, but I like to see a, a billion dollar market because if you're working in a narrow market, the chance of failure, I think, could be higher and I don't want to take that risk. So I want to see a company that if they have competitors, that's a good thing. 
but are they five times better or three times better than their competition? Because if they are right now, you've got something what I call cutting edge. And if you have a cutting edge company, then you should see purchase orders or intent or letters of intent to do some volume. And then another thing I see is they may have a great product and all of everything we just talked about a minute ago, but they don't have any marketing dollars. And the key is really marketing as there is with anything else. And I'm not talking about e-commerce or anything like that. I'm just saying you, you've got to be able to leave enough reserve so you can hire the right sales team and have the breathing room to do whatever it is that you need to do. So, you know, as far as anything else, it's just years of listening to pitches, literally. I mean, I've been at Sand Hill listening to tech pitches. They're mean up there. These guys are hard on these young tech kids. Some of them speak Russian. They can't, you know, they can't pronounce the words right. And they get pretty beaten up. I saw one kid, Alex, seven times till they finally funded him. You know, and there's a guy sitting with a $30 million venture fund and, you know, he kept saying, no, this kid kept coming back for more abuse. I mean, so there's a story I remember, but you know, some of the other ones are easier. They're easier if you do your research. I mean, so we have somebody on the team that does the deep digging. We have an ex-investment banker that started a fund and was successful. I asked him when I hired him, what was your biggest deal? And he says, oh, 5.2 billion. And I said, Peter, oh, that was your annual? He goes, no, that was just one deal. And I said, okay, you're hired. I said, why do you want to come and do these, you know, five to 10 to, you know, that niche that we're in five to a hundred million? And he says, because it's more fun. And I have to deal with, you know, all the rigmarole that goes with all the corporate stuff. So, you know, he's, he came out of semi-retirement to join us, so I'm thrilled to have him. And then our m and attorney is this young, bright kid in D.C., and he just, you know, he, he's like the hunting dog off a leash. He just wants to go out and get more deals, so he's great, too. And, of course, my partner, Mark, here in Los Angeles. I hired him, and I said, if you can have two businesses in the entertainment field and be successful for over 20 years, you're going to be great at V.C., so... He's actually an investor, business owner, and, you know, he, he takes care of all the operations for us. And he really, nice. yeah, so that, that's our team. Then we have some affiliates. We have a few broker dealers we work with. And, you know, obviously, we have a lot of connections everywhere. So. so when you're looking at these deals, like what portion of the deal is like the hard asset compared to what portion? It just depends. I mean, the last one we just closed literally Friday, you know, it was a 1.5 million dollar piece of real estate for the wellness center. And then the balance was, you know, some operational funds and he has another investor coming in with some more funds. So it was pretty much buy this before the backup offers come in, you know? So I would say this one was more, more than 50% real estate. They're not all like that. And when these deals come across your desk, is the person that's bringing the business, are they bringing the idea of the hard asset no. or... Are they no. more looking to leverage a hard, a hard asset that they, they already don't, have? You'd be surprised. Use that to fund the you'd business. Be surpri- I'm sorry, I didn't mean to jump over you. You'd be surprised when you look at these things how sometimes the solution is so simple that you wonder why they didn't think of it. But, you know, when you're so close to the trees, you can't see the forest. So... You know, I mean, I try to make it simple and make it as clean as possible. I'd rather have one or two investors in than a bunch of little ones because then you have to work with the broker dealers and deal with the PPMs and deal with all that rigmarole. So it's just, 
I find family offices that are understanding of their verticals. Like, you know, let's say you guys only do apartment buildings. If you really know apartments and you know every detail about that industry in your town, then you're golden because, you know, you can beat the competition pretty much. And all you need is, you know, cash infusion. So I like to see people that are in verticals. If they're industry agnostic, that's okay too. But sometimes it takes too much to, you know, put them on that ramp and get them up to speed on what's really happening. I do a lot of reading. I start my day at five in the morning. I start reading news feeds from everything from McKinsey to CB Insights to God knows what that comes in from all over the world. And I've always liked that. And I feel like we're on top of, you know, what is cutting edge. And so we have one deal that just came in that we're very bullish on. It's an Alzheimer's neuron cure, and it came out of Australia of all places. And so that's going to require a lot of work here, but, you know, we'll require a facility in the United States as well. So they've actually done animal testing and found that the cognitive improvement in animals works. I know it's kind of eggheady, but <laughs> it's, it's kind of cool because we have so many seniors that are going the route of Alzheimer's and dementia, and it's nice to see some hope. So this is going to be kind of a flyer for us. It's going to be a little bit more outside of our normal range, but all of us have experienced elderly uncles or grandparents that may have gone down that road, and it's not a pretty road to be on. So we're very excited about that new deal. So, you know, the deals can come from anywhere, but we try to stay United States-based. Obviously, there's more control and, you know, we know where the money is going to be going to. We can sort of look at it if we have to, if it's an asset or machinery, equipment and whatever. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. So, Victoria, AJ and I have also, you know, felt the loss of, of Alzheimer's as well. Our oh, mom, I'm so sorry. It's, you know, so that's pretty exciting. We're, we're always kind of staying on top of that. To switch gears just a tiny bit, our show is to help real estate professionals become real estate investors. And you did something pretty impressive starting this year. You built a team and have successfully launched a VC business. And so I would love to hear more about how you approached building out that team and finding these great partners. Well, again... I started during, after the recession, everybody was bored. This is kind of a joke, but we were sitting in a cigar club in Beverly Hills. And here I am with the guys, because I, you know, I tend to, in commercial real estate, you work with 90% guys, and they're all my buddies. And somebody came up, sat down with us, and we're smoking cigars, and I'm cracking jokes. They go, Victoria, you're kind of funny. You should start your own, you know, financial, funny financial show. I go, what the hell are you talking about? What's that? You know, and... So my friend Julio, who worked in Beverly Hills as finance guy, he said, oh, she could do anything. So they had this bet going on, and I had to go get an FM station, start a fun financial show to win the bet. And within a year, we were on iTunes, Stitcher, we went global. You know, during that time, you know, I looked at a lot of deals. I probably looked at 5,000 deals a year, and I'm not joking. Today, I'm getting a deal a day through just feeds. I have about a thousand emails coming in every week. I have to turn down more stuff than I have to. But I think the same, to answer your question, the same personality traits that you have when you're younger and you just drill down and do it and you try to minimize your mistakes, make a quick decision to, to you know, 
go, you know, if, if you've gone down the wrong trail, go back to the Y intersection and go back to something else. I mean, you know, my, my first four year in real estate, I didn't want any money for my family. So I took $10,000 and bought my fees, first piece of property. And then we had a net worth of 5 million in seven years. So that was my track record when I was younger. And I felt I could do it again, but I just added the layer of building the team. And I actually started doing this before COVID. And as, as I said, it's a gut feel as well as, you know, looking at the analysis. I had to learn how to look at spreadsheets. I took some MBA classes back in the day, you know, at UCLA and just try to put it all together. I know Pepperdine wants me to come back and get my MBA, but I don't know if I have time to do that. Is it that important at this point? <laughs> you know, you can hire somebody to do a spreadsheet, but you've got to have the personality and the, I think, just the stick to and just to keep moving. And, you know, I did hire a few people. Some of them didn't work out. But the team I have now, I, I think, is golden. And it's trial and error as much as anything else. And you have to be honest about it. Hey, I'm going to make a mistake. But the key is to fix your mistake or maybe fix the wrong judgment, notice it right away as quickly as possible, pull out of it and keep moving. I really like what you just said there. And AJ and I have experienced this is it's worse to just kind of stay static and not make a decision as it is to make a decision and have it be the wrong one and learn from that decision. And then- do better next and minimize like your losses if you make yep. that decision fast you can switch gears minimize your losses and and go forward if you don't do that then you're stuck with your ego and anybody that says they haven't made errors in their career or they could have done this better or i wish i would have thought of that they're crazy and so that's why i love having my team because we decided oh I think it was 10 people or more. You need an HR department. And we were on a zoom call the other day talking about stuff and deals. We're like, we don't want no stick in HR. And then one of the guys went into the whole, you know, teach and shock. (laughs) We don't want to stick in AR. (laughs) So there's no HR department in our company. We, We say whatever we want. We're not PC correct. And we don't care, you know. And I think that's what makes us likable because people kind of relate to that because we're all kind of tired of this tunnel vision that we have to perform a certain way. And it really, I think it constricts you when you do that. I think, you know, if you don't have the freedom to express whatever was going on in your head at that point in time, then I think you've lost some of the realness. Creativity and just the ability to be yourself. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, so you guys sound like you're having a very interesting track record with all your companies, and it's like a one-stop shop, I guess, right? It absolutely is. We, you know, we started out purchasing single-family homes and fixing them up and renting them out, and that turned into a construction company, real estate brokerage, a property management company, and a syndication company. Company, yeah. I, I did all of that. I had to hire GCs and crews. That was always interesting. Yeah, I was in Chicago. We, we still have like a, we still have a really big network of subcontractors. You, you've got to, but you're. But we, yeah, there's just no way to do it all yourself. Like we have lots of good partners, yeah. but, you know, having that distinction of having the construction company. Well, us to that's huge because you know what your margins are going to be and what your costs are and you're on top of that. And that is so key when, I think we flipped 57 houses 
and then I retired the first time, and then I started doing stuff in Chicago. Now, Chicago was an interesting market because I was the Birkenstock blonde, you know, and these guys tried to take advantage of me every time, every chance they got. And it was, there's some funny stories from that, but I'll save it for another time. But there was one, there was one guy that was Russian and my grandmother and grandfather, they traded in different countries back in the old country. And so they spoke eight languages. Russian was one of them. And the guy was giving us a bid for a curved staircase. It was only $9,000. And the GC that I had working for me that I had to fire afterward, he quoted me 26000 and I turned around in Russian and looked at the guy that was giving the bid. And I said, I thought you said 9,000. I thought this guy was going to drop off his chair. So, you know, it's, it's good to have your own construction people when you're doing a project because things like that happen in the industry a lot, unfortunately. <laughs> you know. That kind of brings me to a question that might be a little bit different in your industry than it's in ours. But like in real estate, typically we were able to leverage financing in this like hybrid model, like what is it that you guys are able to leverage that can really drive those profits? Like I know in businesses, like the leverage is like, right. How important are the the people in the business? And like, how do you really like pull those levers to make a difference? Well, it could be asset-based lending in part, you know, like I'm going to write you a check for a million, but I'm going to hold your IP or, you have a ranch in Montana. I'm going to take a first trust deed on that, but I'll give you three times more of the money that the ranch is worth. Or it could be, you know, I own this house separate of my husband and it's worth $2 million and I'll give you a million, but I want, you know, I want to secure 50% equity in the company and 75% of your cash flow for the first year until you pay me back half. Or, you know, it could be struck. It, it's just a creative structure. And then, you know, thank God I have Peter on board because, you know, he has a Harvard MBA and he goes off the rails <laughs> on really cool stuff. And he's got a lot of experience and a lot of great ideas too. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting. There's a lot of similar things when you switch from real estate to entertainment and real estate to venture capital. And sometimes it's, it's the same thing. It's, you know, some... CEOs are better actors than others. Some CEOs are better presenting, but not so good on delivery. I'm sure you've seen that. You know, there's always the real estate broker that sells the most buildings, but does he really know what he's doing? You know, sometimes he is, and sometimes he just knows how to sell. So there's that skill set, but then there's the delivery skill set. So we have to look at all of it. And we have to look at anything and everything that we can pull together. And, you know, I mean, incentivizing the first lead investors with a higher equity, although we don't want to give too much of the company away because then it kills the deal. But, you know, it's just an analysis thing. So just like in any other real estate deal, this would be similar thought processes to put something together. I've never seen it be exactly the same. I mean, there's a standard, you know, PPM, we're going to give you 11% prep, blah, 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 this and that. That's all great. And that's for the $100,000 investor. They're not all $100,000 investors, especially if they're individuals that are super liquid, because that guy can write his own terms. You know, if you've got a couple million to throw at a company, you can pretty much write your own ticket within reason. But it has to be a win for everybody, because if it isn't, you don't want to do the deal. I mean, we do have a lot of integrity, we think. 
you know, compared to, compared to, let's say, and not to knock the stockbrokers, because some of us have friends that are stockbrokers, but the guy that just gets a package, gets on the phone, smile and dials it, has never really met the CEO or gone to the facility or looked at their product carefully or seen where it integrates. He's just got 10 deals on his desk and he's just moving them out. And, you know, that is the business model that I saw 20 years ago and I don't like it. For me personally, it doesn't work. You know, I want to be able to pick up the phone and call somebody on the weekend if something happens or it's just more integrated, more close, just more tactile, more everything. And I think because you guys have that same, I can see you guys have that same energy between the two of you that you kind of know each other and you know how to make fast decisions. And I think that adds to your success. And you have the same energy levels too. If you have some guy that's really slow and another person fast, it doesn't always work. You know, the guy that doesn't get back to you for three weeks on a simple question, you're like, next, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah, they eventually go down the road and they're replaced. So, you know, that's the way it goes. But that's business. Well, Victoria, I think we are getting to the time where we are ready for our last four questions. (laughs) Are you you ready for these? (laughs) I'll start off with the first one. What's one piece of advice you would give to your 25-year-old self? That's a very good question. I would say just keep going, which is what I did. I feel like I broke the glass ceiling, and I would just say delete the people around you that were pulling you back faster, which is that's what we do now versus when we're younger. You Make sure you pick the right mentor and delete the people that are holding you back or saying you need more of this or that or whatever. Just be, be, be less afraid to, to move forward faster. You know, and I noticed when I ramped up, you know, the first few homes that I remodeled and flipped, it was a little frightening. Then I got up, I went from one or two to like six to, you know, <laughs> and it, I, I would just say, just be confident in yourself more and move a little faster. Yeah, we always say that change is hard and you are the sum of like the five people that you right. hang out with. And I, hear what, I hear what you're saying is like, you know, sometimes it's, you got to move forward and, and it's hard. It can be tough. And I think, you know, because I was a girl in a man's industry, I, I remember going to an Arthur Anderson meeting, you know, I'm chalk striped suit, skirt down to here, you know, hair pulled back. And because I have blonde hair, oh, there's a blonde here at the meeting. Can she add, you know, this kind of stuff? Just ignore all that. That would be the advice. Just don't even hang out with people like that because it's not fun. So that's the advice I would give, you know, believe in yourself because you can do it. Believe in yourself even more than you did back then. Be, be bolder and stronger and braver. <laughs> so, okay, next question. <laughs> yeah, Victoria, you run a company now, but what, what was the first, I guess, entrepreneurial endeavor that, you know, sparked the interest of becoming a, a business owner? Well, I got my first job at 17 as the reporter for the Irvine World News. I'm still in the archives. So they were paying... I think $20 an hour and waitresses were getting five. That was my decision. I'm going to get this job. You had to be 18. I was two months away from being 18. So back then you could fib about your age. So I have to admit, I did kind of slide that. Yes, of course I'm 18. (laughs) So I had a press pass for the next 
four or five years, could go anywhere and do anything. That was really opening and freeing. And I interviewed everything from business people to, you know, political leaders to whatever. So it really expanded my networking talents and abilities, which I think I have now, which helps me become successful, more successful than ever. So, yeah. So That's that right. was, that was, it was all about the money. Let's face it, you know, $20 versus five <laughs> and wearing, you know, wearing an outfit at Gulliver's that looks like something from, you know, a Hollywood movie or going out and meeting people and having a press pass to go to all the concerts for free and everything. I was going to say the access had to be yeah, quite Yeah, fun. it was, it was great, you know, and then somebody called me up because I, I studied music in high school and somebody Somebody called me up and said, you know, my dad's looking for somebody to help, you know, work in a recording studio. So I worked for the epitome of the, you remember the show Mad Men? That was the guy that I worked for. So I learned a lot about marketing and we had big clients like McGaw Labs and Allergan Pharmaceuticals. We just had really super big clients and clients in New York. And I was in Orange County at the time in Newport Beach. And I just felt the worldwide experience that I had as a young person, I think, you know, set the stage to, you know, be able to take on, you know, the next level of what I wanted to do. And I always liked the pinnacle of the challenge. I didn't want to just be a housebroker, no offense to the housebrokers that I know, but I wanted to try something a little more challenging. So I went for it. And that's the challenge I have today. You know, I'm sure that as we continue on, you know, we get a lot of feedback from clients going, I wish somebody had thought of what you're doing earlier because it helps us a lot and it fills a void between, you know, the little startups and the big guys and there's not enough of us out there. But I hope we don't grow big enough that we can't have that camaraderie, which again makes it fun to work. It doesn't feel like work when we go to work every day. I start my day at 5 a.m. and I'm on the phone at 6 or 7 under the east coast and sometimes i go till 10 o'clock at night and then there's the you know the trips i'm excited to go to new york because i was introduced to the union club in new york city i'm gonna have breakfast with a lot of people from the united nations and people from all over the world and i love that kind of stuff wow. and it doesn't necessarily Very have cool. to turn into a deal but sure, speaking certainly, four lines, certainly, certainly <laughs> is able to open some doors Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I mean, the who's who list on the people at breakfast right. is fascinating. Right. You know. Okay. Our third question is, how has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? Well, I have a degree in biology from UCI. I partied through and got a 3.86 average. So I think, <laughs> I think I'm okay with the science of it. The science helps me with all the medical companies. We have a medical equipment company right now we're working with i just shot a video for them interviewing a doctor so third-party endorsement you know that kind of stuff that i learned but everything that i learned from being a reporter and working for an ad agency and cutting music and you know having the creative side and the business side helped and just ojt stumble and error we call it <laughs> you know <laughs> ojt <laughs> chris is laughing <laughs> but it's true i mean you got to you got to be able to take that dive. Okay, the water's a little cold, but I'm still paddling, you know. So I, I feel at this point it's less stumble and error and more like savvy. Hopefully that's what it's at. And yeah, I think it all it all comes together. 
and you never stop learning. That's what I love about it. You never stop learning, and you got to be able to laugh at stuff. If you can't laugh at it, you might as well just pack it in. So. <laughs> All right, and now our, our final question. Oh, is this like the millionaire? This is the final answer. <laughs> well, we have changed it from a few podcasts earlier, but what was your biggest mistake, and what did you learn? Well, biggest mistake was, again, it goes back to the first question a little bit. I had a joint venture partnership right before 2008 where I had negotiated very good prices on $26 million worth of properties, three projects. One of them went south because the joint venture partner lied to us, but I let it go too long. I should have pulled the reins back on that horse faster. To answer your question, I felt that I should have probably pushed him more and not not listened to my partners when I felt that it was the right thing to do. And we probably would have saved, you know, three, four hundred thousand on that deal. So we kind of broke even on it, maybe lost a hundred thousand each, hundred fifty thousand each. So that was a loss that we could have probably prevented had I moved a little just, faster. That was my Moby Dick. <laughs> <laughs> you just kind of listen to your gut a little bit. I, I, I listen to my gut, but I let other people talk me out of it. And they're like, you're, you know, you're, you're hysterical. You're imagining things. I go, there's something wrong with this guy. You know, I think women have a better intuition for that. Cause we've dated all those clowns. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, that's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother podcast. And on that note, yeah. I want to thank you guys so much for letting me come uh, on. It was fun. Yeah. Victoria, <laughs> thank you for coming on the show. If our listeners want to learn more about what you do or get a hold of you, what's some good contact info that you can be reached at or what's the best place? To oh, get well, we, we do have a website and of course it's steelwolfventures.com. And that's steel, like iron and steel, and ventures, plural. Or they can get a hold of me through there or in Los Angeles. I'm in Beverly Hills. I don't know if I should leave my number, but I can certainly you know, take an email, victoria at steelventures.com. They can submit whatever they want. I get a lot of emails. I'll get to it. And, you know, we'd love to talk to people, you know, that want to either partner up with us you know, finance our next venture fund that Peter's building and, or, you know, maybe they have a deal for us to look at, but, you know, again, we, we prefer the deals that are a billion market cutting edge and, you know, very vetable because we put our name and our reputation on the line when we try to work with somebody and we hope it all works out for the best. And I wish you guys a lot of success. If there's anything that we could do to help you, we would love to help you. So awesome. Well, thank you. Well, thank yeah, you for your, so thank fun. you for having me on. And it was a pleasure meeting you both by a call. And if you're in Los Angeles, come look us up. We'll go up to the Bel Air and have cocktails and listen to some good jazz. Ooh, and something like that. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Everything is opening up again, but there's a piano bar that's been there for 30 years and it's just a cool hang. A lot of CEOs hang there. There's, it's just a good place to network, so it's fun. It's a beautiful piece of property. Oh, by the Dorchester Group, which isn't well-liked in some areas, but it's a beautiful hotel, and the grounds are spectacular. I think you'd enjoy it. Anyway, thanks for your time, guys. Nice to meet well, you Victoria, all. thank you very much for okay. being on the show. We really appreciate all right. it. We will... I, hope to, I hope that we can chat again sometime. Maybe you'll come on one of our video shoots. Oh, fun. 
<laughs> Thank All right. You. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community for investing knowledge for growth. Please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone you know wants to be on, please go to westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form.